From Bob, how's it going? Welcome aboard. It is I, TJ, and uh, today I got a new face and you're wondering who is this guy? Well, this is Gareth Shepperson and uh, Gareth Shepperson, I've been in his circle for quite a long time now, learning from him the ropes on how things is done. You can see from his background, my background is full of wallpapers, his background is full of knowledge. And uh, Gareth, how's it going? Welcome aboard. Great to see you again, TJ. Awesome stuff. Gareth, who are you and what do you do? Okay, I'm an attorney and a conveyancer. For those who don't know what a conveyance is, that's basically an attorney specializing in property law uh, where we've got additional qualifications. Uh, I practice at a law firm called Delport van der Berg in Pretoria, uh, wow. which is a large property firm, which is on the panels of most of the banks and uh, does a lot of, of uh, work with developers and property investors. Um, I'm also the chairman of the property committee of the Pretoria Attorneys Association and on the executive committee, and I'm on the rules board for uh, sectional titles. So I'm uh, vast, uh, vastly experienced in property, but more than that, I'm passionate about property and enjoy all the varying aspects that go with property investment. Uh, lastly, I'm also a, 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 have a business where I'm an independent trustee, yeah. um, and that is relevant to today's uh, topic, I believe. Awesome, yeah. And with all these accolades, it is my honor to be hanging out with you. Your time is precious, and um, I truly appreciate the, the time that you're giving to us. Now, Gareth, I'm just going to jump into it, right? Um, and the question that I want to ask of you is that a lot of times we, we go through to seminars, we go through to these schools that are there and we want to start property. And we all hear these fancy words coming up and it's for the first time that we are hearing them up, structures, structures. And all of a sudden we are now kind of like stuck and we think which structure is the right structure for me. And I go out there there is 15 of them. I don't know where to start. What's your views? Okay, um, TJ, if you will just allow me to, to uh, start with a quote from Jason Lee. I know you've read his books. I've read his books. Uh, he's a well-known uh, property investor and author in South Africa. Um, and he said, the most important aspect of making money out of property is preserving and protecting both the property and the wealth that is created. Far too many property investors rush into buying properties without first getting a suitable property investment structure in place. Without a suitable property investment structure, you are exposed and vulnerable to creditors who can ruthlessly take away everything you have gained. So that in a nutshell sums up my uh, thinking as well, is that you need a structure in place that will preserve and protect the property and wealth that you have created and that you need to set that structure up rather sooner uh, rather than later so that you're protecting those, those assets that you're building from the very beginning. Um, yeah. There's obviously a valid reason for this in that if you invest in your own name, which we definitely do not um, recommend. In fact, the only uh, time you should buy ever consider even buying property in your own name is your uh, private residence because there is a small capital gains tax well there's a significant capital gains tax advantage but most people don't go around selling their houses too often with the ones that they live in 
So if you're an investor and not worried about your prime and not dealing with your primary residence, you should never invest in your own name. And if you do so, and you later want to transfer it into the structure, there's a huge number of costs um, that can be involved in that. Um, uh, things like um, uh, transfer duty, uh, deemed interest charges, donations tax, uh, capital gains tax. So there's a lot of uh, costs in, uh, and, and in fact, uh, <laughs> the cost that you're gonna have to pay the conveyancer to do those transfers as well. So there's, there's a lot of costs that are involved in trying to rectify your structure at a later stage. And that's why we always say, get it right from the beginning and uh, you will uh, be very thankful later on um, that you have done so because there's then no further costs to securing your, your, your assets in a, in, a, in a proper structure. Right. I think, Gareth, um, I think there's two things there that I want to latch uh, uh, on there in terms of what you've just mentioned now. Um, there's the idea of starting off and we start off and because we don't know what we don't know, we just start. Uh, a lot of us, we already had two to three, four properties by the time that we went into some form of education. Um, and I actually want us maybe to have that as a topic. So in terms of you are where you are now, maybe you've got five, maybe you've got three, they're, you're thinking that they're investments, uh, properties, and yet they're in your name. How can you resolve that? I think that's a topic on its own. But today, I think maybe where we can focus on is, I am just listening in for the first time. I've, I have, I now want to go into property investment. What are the investments, um, what are the structures that are there in my disposal to, to protect my assets? so that we can walk on the same path that Jason is talking about here. Okay, they, um, basically, it's say two and a half. I call right. closed corporations a half, half a structure because you can't register new closed corporations anymore. They're busy being phased out, but some people still have them. So uh, it is a structure that can be used and everything that I'm gonna say about companies, in other words, PTY limited companies, um, would apply to, to closed corporations. Um, but I'm not going to mention them again because uh, they basically are being phased out. Um, I only mention it now because some people may still have them. Sure. Therefore, there are actually two main ones, trusts and companies. Right. Now, if we, if we interrogate the, the, the two of them, if we look at, at trusts, uh, trusts are a great uh, method of protecting your wealth and securing your legacy for the future. All your assets should be in some form of trust. So even uh, later on, when I get to a company, you should put your shares of the company into your own personal trust because that way you can preserve your legacy for the for the future. Um, well, firstly, trusts also they they create a possibility actually that you can create a, a bigger portfolio and a better portfolio than merely investing in your in your own name. But they're more suited to passive holding type investments. If you're doing a lot of transactions. Um, flipping property and so on, they are not really the most suited and they're also not suited to um, where you have different number of investors. So if you've got, let's say five different investors who pull together their money and decide they're gonna invest in a property, it doesn't make sense to do it in a trust. A trust is not a very flexible instrument. And the problem is with five different people, 
there are five different views on how the, the, the business should be managed, what the desired outcomes are, what the timelines are, when certain people want to exit, how much each one must contribute in that. And because a trust is not such a flexible instrument, it is it is better to in those in such cases to rather have it in a in a in a company. A trust is still nevertheless way better than having it in your personal name. And it can be suited to, uh, for example, where it's a family business and basically you're just securing the assets uh, for your kids. But again, um, it's it's not as flexible and, and, I, and I wouldn't really um, look at it. The only, the, I would look at it to hold your, 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 your properties in, but to hold the, the your shares of a company that own properties in, but I wouldn't hold the properties directly in it. The, right. the I mean, if, if you go, I'm sure lots of people here on the, uh, who are going to watch this video have been to presentations on trusts and so on. And, and I think many people will be familiar with the so-called double trust structure. The double what, trust structure what, basically what is entails- what, what is double, double uh, trust structures, uh, Gareth? The double trust structure seems to have emerged somewhere around the, the 1990s. And I know there are various people who have claimed to have originated it. Uh, okay. In my personal opinion, it comes from a guy called Peter Carruthers uh, in a book called Crash Proof Your Business. But be that as it may, I, whoever originated it, it is now widely accepted within all people who are advising on trusts. And that involves that you have a family trust where all your, your most secure assets are held. And then you have an, uh, an investment trust. People call it different names, a shared trust or whatever um, you want to call it. And in that one is where you take a bit more risks. And basically, right. I have never heard of a case where um, a beneficiary of a trust has been held liable for the uh, debts of a trust. So since the, since the beneficiary of the uh, trading trust or the, the shared trust is your family trust, it is unlikely that your family trust can ever be held liable for the um, activities or the, the, the uh, debts of the um, trading or, or share trust. Right. So in that way, your assets, once you have transferred them to your family trust, are 100% protected. A lot of people say they're 99% protected, but since I've never heard of a case where um, a creditor has successfully pursued a beneficiary of a trust, um, other than fraud and, and things like that, which we won't talk about. Um, but I've never heard of such a case. And therefore, I can only say it's 100% uh, protection um, and, and your assets are 100% creditor-proof once they're in your, in your family trust. So that's basically the idea of the double trust uh, uh, structure. Okay. So, so Gary, um, whilst, whilst we're at that, I want to bring you back to, um, and I want to introduce here Tabo and Mary. They're happily married, young, and you know they've gone through to one of these um, training sessions and things like that. They have heard that they need to have uh, uh, structures and things like that. So we have mentioned that there is trust here. We've mentioned that there is companies, various types of um, uh, companies, CC, PTYs, and things like that. And and the question that I, you know, you 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 go on to talk about the trust and it almost sounds like the trust is really to protect your assets for the future generations that are going to come along after you have gone. And I want to tell you, Gareth, whenever, when I started doing property, I, it was not about my kids, you know, or even like 
the case that are going to come. I wasn't thinking that far, I have to confess, right? Um, but now that I'm in it in a few years, the thoughts are coming in and I'm now thinking, how can I protect it? So to Tabo and Mary, who were also in my position of, they just want to get started and put a little bit of money so that there is beckon and uh, maybe they can do a trip to Deben once in a while um, and hopefully go to, to America one day with, with their business of the property. What is the baby step which you think that maybe they should be going into? Because we've spoken about a, a few okay. things here. Okay, well, firstly, I hope Tabu loves Mary. And Mary loves Tabu, because yeah. in that case, whether they have kids, don't have kids, whatever the situation is, at the very least, they want to ensure that their spouse does not suffer the consequences of them not structuring their, their investment property. For right. example, did you know that on your death, your estate can lose up to 55% of its value in fees and taxes? However, if you and that your heirs are going to have to pay that. So Mary's going to have to pay for Tabu's uh, taxes and fees or vice versa. But I don't think um, a lot of us, we know that. And, and even worse, if, if both were to pass away and, and they did have kids, the kids would be uh, saddled with that debt. Now, if your uh, Tabu and Mary have, have, have got two investment properties, but don't have much cash. Right. Um, all the fees and 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 taxes and so on that are payable will be calculated on the value of those properties. Let's say each of those properties is 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 worth a couple of, uh, of the total value of the property is worth a couple of million. The taxes could be quite significant, and and the kids are going to have to come up with it. Or alternatively, if there's no kids, this once the surviving spouse is going to have to come up with that money. And in addition, the the person who's passed away's bank account is going to be frozen. Uh, until the estate is finalized. So if you, have a, if you have everything in a trust, the trust continues. The trust has perpetual succession. It, it never ends until eventually you close it down or the trustees close it down. So when you die, things just carry on. The, your tenants keep paying in their rent to your, your account and, and things carry on. Your kids can access those funds. The, the, well, the trustees can pay those funds to your kids. Your, Kids' school fees and everything will be taken care of. If it's only Tabu and Mary, she can pay for a petrol for a car or he can pay for his insurance or whatever the case may be. Um, things just continue. So, so that is why it's important um, from a succession point of view to do that. But also, even if you then don't think you're going to die anytime soon. I know young people tend to think they're immortal and will live forever. But um, well, with COVID even, around, it doesn't look like it anymore. <laughs> yeah, look. So, so even if even if you even if you're young or young at heart and, and, and think you're not going to die anytime soon, and you're not worried about about things like this, or oh, I suppose if you're unmarried and you've got no worry about uh, leaving uh, people in difficulty when you when you leave this earth. Um, then there are other things to consider. And um, I know we've discussed this on, on a couple of occasions. When we talk structure, the first thing is most people jump into immediately is what's the tax? What's the tax consequences? What's, what's the difference between putting a property in my own name, uh, doing it in a, in a trust or doing it in a company? And all of those um, entities or individuals are taxed differently. So there are different tax um advantages and disadvantages for whichever uh, entity uh, you may choose. 
Right. However, again, I would say that the savings in capital gains tax and everything on, on, on your death must also be considered uh, when considering the current tax. But in, uh, in your example of Tabu and Mary, let's say, let's say they are only worried about the current tax and not worried about mm. the future implications of, of that tax. Um, with trusts, there's a principle called the conduit principle, and we don't have time, I don't think, to go into it now. It basically means that you can allocate uh, certain of the income to the beneficiaries uh, within a, a, a trust and whoever, uh, to whoever is taxed on the lowest uh, tax rate and uh, thereby pay the lowest tax um, possible. So low in theory, a, a trust pays 45% tax. Um, if you manage your trust properly and apply the conduit principle, um, you can reduce that tax to, to very low amounts. So um, if, we, if we look from a tax point of view, um, trusts are often vilified by, by, by people and say they're very tax inefficient, 45% tax extremely high. Um, yeah, that, that is true um, if, you do, if you don't manage it properly. If we look at so companies, companies context, are taxed. It, it's in context on versus how you're operating the, the yes. trustee itself, what you're doing within that trust. Yes. So it's not just a, a, a willy-nilly <clears throat> uh global or blanket statement that you can say because you might have the uh, trust for five ten years and never have to pay the 45 percent because you didn't do something that i trust the 45 yes okay. yes so so but any income would be at, at that rate if you didn't manage it properly and the same actually applies whether it's a trust or a company if you don't manage it effectively um that's only marginally better than owning it in your own name. For example, in a, with a trust, um, the courts have identified what they call sham trusts, which is basically people carrying on and operating their assets in, as if they are their own and not treating them as trust property. So they don't keep proper records of AGMs, have financials drawn up, um, have an independent trustee, which is very important, um, and, and distance themselves from the assets. Yes, they can enjoy the benefits of their assets, 100%, but the actual management and, and dealing with the assets needs to be separated from the individual when you create a structure um, so that the courts will, and the, the, the most importantly, I suppose, SARS, uh, won't uh, treat it as your own personal um, income or, or your own personal assets. So, yeah, it's important that, that we, we realize that merely registering uh, uh, companies and trusts and so on and so forth is only the first step. You actually got to then take it further and ensure that you do it. And the conduit principle is a, is a great example of uh, if you don't manage it properly, how you can lose large amounts due to tax. I, I, don't so, I was going to say uh, also for companies, um, if, you, if you look at companies typically taxed uh, at 28%, um, but also when the person is taking out um, uh, dividends, it may also cost another 20%. So you're looking, you could, you could be looking at, at a similar sort of tax for a company as you are looking at uh, for a trust. Um, yeah. If you're looking, if you're looking at, a, at an individual, um, if you, if you uh, have your, your, the members of your family as, a, as, as beneficiaries of your trust and you apply the conduit principle, your tax rate could be like 20%, it could be, could be pretty low, um, even though your personal income uh, tax rate might be at, at the maximum uh, 
45%. Um, so mm. yeah, each, each, it's horses for courses, each individual and their, their investment strategy um, will decide on, on the structure that is best suited to them. What are, what are the baby steps for Tabo and uh, Mary uh, to do? So now they want to go into property. They've just maybe potentially listened to this and they're thinking company and they're thinking which kind of a company. They've met someone else uh, and Johannes have said, hey, I actually have a close co corporation that I can sell to you guys. It's a 1978. And Tabo and Mary are now having an intense fellowship at home in terms of how, which structures to start with. And at the, at the risk of them starting, they've been deadlocked for the last two years now, Gareth, in terms of the right structure. They're not getting, the one is hearing other things from other people. And uh, this is actually a real life story that, uh, you know, I come across from time to time. People telling me that they're not starting because they don't have the right structure. And I said, but we were together in the class five years ago and I'll come even started and said, no, I'm still looking for, the, I need the right structure first. Um, what is the baby steps? What is the channel of Tabo and Mary to do together as a husband and wife? Okay, well, the first baby step is to do something. Uh, even a wrong step in the, in the direction of, of putting your assets into a trust or a company um, is better than doing nothing. Sure. So, so resolve together that you're going to make a decision one way or another. And then far be it from me to say it's my way or the highway and that I know better than any of these other advisors out there. As I've just mentioned, each case is different and, and you would have to look at each one indiv individually to decide on the way forward. The way that I generally recommend is that you, the, if you're going to invest in property, whether it's uh, buy to let or uh, flipping of property is that the investments be held in a company. That, that okay. is the way that we recommend. Um, then for all the reasons that I mentioned above um, about uh, um, retaining uh, the, the, the benefits of a trust, you would put the shares of that company into the trust. And so that is the, the structure that we recommend. Uh, we sometimes, depending on, on the risk profile, if it's a high risk profile, we sometimes would then insert that double trust structure that we uh, mentioned earlier so that you would have your family trust, your share trust, and you would put the shares of your company or companies into the trust. Because you also don't, you must remember, what is the purpose of, of, of the, the whole thing when, when looking for asset protection? It's to compartmentalize your risk. So you're putting right. your risk into different compartments. So if you've got 10 million rands worth of risk and you put 1 million into each different company and um, a creditor comes and attacks that company, what is your exposure? Your exposure is 1 million rand. They can take that company, but if the other companies haven't signed surety or anything like that, um, then you are in the fortunate position. Well, I say fortunate. <laughs> it's not that really fortunate to lose a million rand. You're fortunate to have a 10 million rand portfolio in the first place. Mm. Um, but if you lose a million, it's better than losing 10 million. So if you lose everything you have built up over the years, say you've spent 10, 20 years building up this portfolio, um, you can, you, every, the whole stack of cards can come tumbling down in, in, in one go. 
I know sometimes you see in the shopping centers where you haven't seen, you can't, uh, you don't see it much lately. But when I was younger, you used to see these people stack these dominoes in a long thing through the yes, shopping center. Yes. And then I've they, seen a couple of knock, videos of those. <laughs> you knock the first one over and then all goes all over the place. And that's the last yeah. thing you want for your property structure is, is that one domino knocks down everything. Right. So whatever people do, move it off your own name into a structure. And once your business grows or whatever, um, and you and you have other additional properties that you're adding, put it into another compartment. So another company, keep that different um, because especially those, those people who are looking to do property development, every property development should be in its own company. There is no ways you should uh, run up um, different property developments out of the same company or even worse, put your property development um, in the same company where you've already got a successful buy-to-let uh, portfolio. Your successful buy-to-let portfolio is your is your, your cash cow. You don't want to put that at risk by, by putting a development in there because developments are far more risky than a, than a buy-to-let. Rather put the, buy, the, the development on its own. If it fails, it fails. Whatever you've put in, you lose, but your, 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 your future, your retirement policy, your cash cow, whatever you want to call it in your buy to let portfolio is, is still available there. And similarly, I would not put uh, flip properties. I wouldn't flip properties out of the same entity where I'm um, got a successful buy to let portfolio, because even though you do your homework and you make sure as far as you can that your uh, the property you're going to flip is going to be a success. Anything can happen. There can there could be an earthquake and the property is swallowed or something, and your insurance somehow lapsed, and and uh, therefore your two million rand house has fallen into a sinkhole, and 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 the land is now worth a hundred thousand. So you've lost mm. one point nine million. Yeah. You don't want that impacting on your other businesses. Whilst you're saying that, Gareth, I remember about I think maybe about two and a half years ago, I remember you were having. Um, a, a chat, uh, or should I say, you uh, at, a, at a conference where I attended, and you had you had, uh, you had a slot, and you were talking about exactly what you're talking about today. And um, at the time, my business hadn't grown to where it is now, and there was nothing to compartmentalize. And um, um, I, we call it ring fencing in our team. And about a year and a half ago, I brought up the same conversations with my team, and I said, guys, you know what? We, we're building a business, but everything is in one uh, company. How do we de-risk ourselves? And uh, for us, taking on your opinion there, we actually went on to say, okay, fine. We, our business is into three things. Um, so the first one is that we do student accommodation. And the risk associated with student accommodation is very different from our bachelor's properties. Because obviously, if you have students on a property, they behave very differently. Um, so we ring fenced. I remember that. <laughs> yes, and we ring fenced that, and we have actually gone out to insurance companies, and we have said these are the things that might happen at our property because you have these kids here, first years, they might not even know how to turn on a stove. You know what I mean? So it's very high, and we have separated that business from our normal business, which is buy to let, and. I'm glad that we're having this conversation again because some of these things, as we talk about them now, they don't resonate because you are not there yet. But by the time you are there and you are feeding yourselves with such kind of information, it 
it comes back and hopefully you can act upon it. And that's the dream of all of these conversations that we are always having here. Gareth, as we come to an end on this conversation here, um, I want to ask of you to say, if, I know you did say it a little bit earlier on at the beginning of the conversation, but I want to highlight it. I'll kind of like just, you know, put it out there. There I am, I have journeyed in my journey in the last 10 years and I've bought all my properties in my personal capacity because that's the one thing I can say that I have taken out of my conversation with you today. Do not buy in your personal name for property investments. What has been your worst case scenario of an individual who bought 10 years, X amount of properties, and now Jesus said, come home? <laughs> um, well, we've, we've, we've had uh, several, I don't work directly in the estates division, but I have heard the horror stories as well of yeah. um, people who, who, uh, who have basically had to sell um, large numbers of their properties. And right. as a buyer of, buyer of distressed property uh, yourself, uh, TJ, I'm yeah. sure that you know that, that quite often the, 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 the distressed properties are from estates. Um, um, yes, there are people who have lost their job or become insolvent or whatever, and those properties become distressed. But I actually think the, the, the largest pool of distressed properties come from estates. And it's yeah, for precisely right. that reason is that because you've built up your 10 properties that you're, you're renting up, but you've got zero um, cash on hand. So when the, times come to, the time comes to transfer those properties to the, the heirs, uh, pay the capital gains tax on those properties and so on, and the heirs have to pay that, there's no cash in the estate. So what happens? The, the, the executor of the estate has to urgently try and sell those properties in order to pay those taxes. And, and what is the end result normally is that those properties are sold at significantly below uh, market value. If the properties had been in a trust or something, none of those taxes would be payable. And if the heirs don't want those properties, they can sell those properties in their own time because those properties are then not distressed. Those properties are then um, can be sold at market value and, and the heirs will ultimately benefit uh, by um, selling at a, at a higher value. So there is Mary and Tabo thinking that, you know, they're building something great here, but then Mary goes and sees Jesus and she's thinking that she's actually worked very hard with her spouse, Tabo, but actually she's left more problems for Tabo. Yep. And, and I know we've talked a lot about deceased estates here, but there's also insolvency. Insolvency right. is also a consideration. If the spouses are, are, are married in community property, that's bad because um, they're going to lose everything. Um, yeah. Even if they're married out of community of property, um, it's a, it creates a very difficult situation uh, when there's insolvency and even if the, it doesn't go as far as insolvency but that there are bank repossessions of properties or, or, or judgments where uh, creditors other creditors come after your property um, all of those the exact same thing would, would apply with regard to protection as it would with a deceased estate so it's not only when someone dies it's also uh, under all uh, of those difficult circumstances my recommendation, ladies and gentlemen, is that if you are wanting to start off, I'm of the view that the first, this is my personal view, the first thing that you want to do, not go and Google and all of those things because they're just going to lead you astray. Yes, get the information, but go and sit with someone like Gareth, right? 
Because if you are to sit with someone like Gareth, then they can show you the world of what is the possibility. Gareth, you've been, in, in, uh, uh, you've been a, a law expert for the last, what, 20 years? Yeah, longer than that, I'm afraid. <laughs> and, and you have seen the good and the bad. And with that, it's no longer just textbook. It is real life, real life examples, what you have preserved and what you can now do. Laws changes from time to time. Google doesn't know that, right? So you need to speak to a warm body and Gareth is that person. Gareth, where can they get a hold of you? I think we can jump in into the links below and you'll get all of Gareth's um, um, details. And Gareth, um, in closing comments on this, I know we're going to have many chats conversations because there's just a lot here to talk about around law and getting started. But getting started alone, what's your closing comments in here? My closing comments is yes, preferably go and see an expert and uh, chat to someone about it and, and learn what you can. But then please do something. Don't, don't just sit back and do nothing. Even if you decide you're going to register your own company and that you can register for a couple of hundred rand uh, through CRPC, or you, it's, it's better than, than doing nothing. So my closing thought is do something. Awesome stuff. Now you know why I hang out with Gareth, because we are doers, not just information junkies. Do something. Cheers. We'll check you out on the next video.